Good morning. Why don't we just start in prayer? Heavenly Father, we've opened your word before us this morning. Uh, It's a word that Paul has written down that speaks of unity and love. It speaks of the true person of Jesus. Lord, open our eyes this morning that we might see the truth. Open our hearts this morning that we might hear it. Give us courage to follow you in all aspects, that we may give you glory, that we may honour you, that we might please you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If I was to ask you one question, what do you imagine, what do you hope, what do you dream that church might be like? We're all here this morning. We've come uh, from different places. Some of us might have been up at 5.30 this morning. Some of us might have been up at quarter to 10 this morning. We've all come here. Some are probably yet to still arrive, okay? But what do you imagine? What do you hope? What do you dream church would be like? That's the question I want to, to leave with you this morning. I want you to keep coming back to it as I'm, I'm speaking. I want you to think about it at the end. What does church, what is a church that honours God, what does it really look like? Now this morning in front of us we have what I would say is probably one of the greatest passages in the Bible. One of the most popular passages in the Bible. Many people can recite particularly the second half of that, probably partly because it's in a song as well. All right, But in some ways preaching on such a passage is a little bit daunting. All right, trying to encapsulate, trying to grasp hold of, trying to demonstrate or present the greatness that is presented in that second half of the passage is a tall order. So I'm going to keep it simple this morning. I've just got one point. Do you reckon you can remember one point? Here we go. This is, my, this is really my one sentence for us to take home. So if you're a note taker, you can jot it down and then I can wake you up at the end of the sermon. (laughs) Here we go. A God-honouring church is united and that unity comes from humility that is modelled on Christ. You ready? A a God-honouring church is united and that unity comes from humility which is modelled on Christ. So as we go through this morning, I want to pull out different parts of that and give a a vision, I guess, what our church might be like. Because I think most of us here this morning want this church to be a God-honouring place. Is that right? So right at the start of our passage at chapter 2 this morning, we start with a therefore. Now, Paul loves writing his therefores, and it always makes you go back to have a look what the preceding uh, section or passage was. So we have a therefore this morning, and as we flip back, really it's looking at that last little section that Brendan covered last week. And we have things, uh, and the NIV NIV has a useful heading for us here, to have a life worthy of the gospel. It encourages to be standing firm in one spirit, of striving together as one. And so last week included this concept of unity within the church. And Paul wrote about it, discussing it kind of as an effective tool, 
an effective tool that brings us together. Now, if you weren't here last week, you might be surprised that we had a rugby scrum on stage. Okay, we had a rugby scrum on stage. And the picture was a group of people, or let me say, a picture was a single Christian on their own, uh, alone in the world, isn't very strong against what the world might do. But in the case of rugby, where you have a scrum, you have multiple people bound together, forming a defence which makes them more effective against the world. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a scrum. All right. Last week, I did notice that the back line wasn't that keen to engage in the scrum. <laughs> and, and there's kind of a bit of a reason for that. Because if you're in a scrum, you can't be someone who's, uh, who is concerned about their own little space. All right? Because what you do in the scrum, particularly the back line, okay, you bend down and you put your head between the people in front's two bottoms. Okay? It is intimate. Not only that, is that you put your arm around the person next to you and you don't just put it around to give them a pat or a tickle, but you grab their jersey, you take it in your hand and you hold on to... Really, death do us part is the idea, okay? You hold on no matter what happens. And if you're on the outside of that scrum, you reach forward between the legs of the person that's in front of you and grab their jersey and hold on as well. Now, I'm not sure why the back row didn't want to participate last week so much, okay? But it is a very intimate unit. There is a lack of personal space. And it needs humility to do it, to come together. So Paul writes, therefore. But in chapter 2 this week, Paul once again highlights Christian unity. But instead of presenting it like an effective tool, like the previous chapter, this time he describes it as being the very essence of a Christian life. So both are true. Last week, it strengthens us, it builds us together, it makes us effective in the world. This week, he's describing it as, guys, if you are truly who you say you are, that is Christian, you will be humble and you will be unified. So let's start at the beginning of Philippians, chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if any uh, common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. What is Paul trying to get at here? If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, what's he trying to talk about? If you know and understand in any way that you are united with Christ in his death and his resurrection, if you have an understanding that you are saved with him, we are bound with Christ. He's done all the work, mind you, but we are bound with him. So Paul's saying, if you are like that, if you've had any encouragement of being bound with Christ, okay, the next one, if you have any comfort from his love, have you known the love of God? Have you known that love and that peace that can occur in all sorts of difficult circumstances that really is beyond understanding? It is not logical. But God's love can reach down and and warm the heart in a real emotional way. This is not a ticker box. There are times in life where God's love reaches in. So Paul says, if you've had any comfort from his love, 
The next one, if you have any common sharing in the spirit. And he's talking about here of the drawing together of the brothers and sisters uh, in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Kind of like what we're doing here this morning. If you've ever experienced some of that fellowship that comes together when the Holy Spirit uh, draws us together. I don't know if you've ever been overseas and you've visited a a country uh, and you go to some places and culturally you are completely different. All right. I remember uh, being in Seoul, Korea, and they, they seem to go shopping at night. I mean, 9.30 at night, that's when the streets are really busy. I'm walking down. I'm a little taller than the average Korean, okay? And there is a guy preaching the gospel, and he obviously sees me, and he grabs me, and he says, do you know Jesus? And I say, yes, and he says, welcome, brother. All right? Wherever you are in the world, when you meet a fellow Christian, there is a a unity that immediately occurs. Have you experienced that before? Or as Paul goes on, if you have any tenderness or compassion. And really what he's talking about is, have you had a, a transformation in your heart? Have you a feeling, so a tenderness, a feeling of kindness towards someone? or compassion, an action of kindness towards someone that in some ways you can't explain. That you don't just sort of uh, move past and say, I'm not worried about that anymore, I don't care about you, I just focused on me. But if there's been a transformation in your heart which brings up this unexpected kind of kindness towards others, if you have ever experienced something like that, Paul wants to say something to us. If you are familiar with these experiences, what Paul is saying, well, actually, you are in Christ. If you're familiar with these experiences, you are, as we would say, a Christian. This is really what part of the Christian experience should be. We should have an encouragement and an assurance that us being bound with Christ in unity with him... Okay, uh, it should give us a sense of salvation. We should, at times, have a deep emotional feeling that there is a God in heaven who actually loves us. We should be drawn together as Christians. There should be a desire to do that. That's what the Holy Spirit does. We want to be here. And we should have a transformation of heart that instead of being directed inwards is directed outwards in kindness uh, and compassion. If you've had any of those experiences, Paul is saying, he wants, he says, make my joy complete. In verse 2, then make my joy complete. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know even if I could describe to you what would make my joy complete. All right, can you imagine that? All right, my joy is complete. We're done, we're dusted. All right, it doesn't seem to make sense, particularly in our world. There's always something else, isn't there? But in this passage, Paul is talking to the Philippians. And if you remember, Paul was the first to go there. He was first to sow that seed. He was first to see that little church emerge out of the ground. He was the first to see those leaves start to accumulate on that little church. And what's he saying here? Make my joy complete. Don't stay as a seed or a seedling, but become a mature crop. Become a a church that is complete, a church that is honouring 
to God. That is what he's seeking here. Make my joy complete. I started the work. Let's finish it. Then my joy will be complete. So as you see in verse 2, Paul describes how that could happen. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. It's being like-minded, having same loves, being in one spirit and one mind. Paul doesn't want us to be identical. Okay, We're not talking about uh, bacteria here that uh, duplicates in size. One cell splits into two. All right, next cell splits into two. They keep going, but genetically they're all the same, the same, the same, the same. All right? If you've been in church long enough, you know we're not a bunch of bacteria. Okay? We are highly diverse. All right? That's not what he's saying. He doesn't want us to be all the same. But rather he wants us to have the same desires, the same loves, the same vision for the church of God. I go back to that question at the beginning. What do you imagine the church to be like? What should it be like? So how do we do that? In verses 3 and 4, Paul keeps writing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. There shouldn't be selfish ambition. We shouldn't be making decisions on the vain conceit of individuals. We shouldn't be making decisions on our own interests, but really we should be looking out uh, and seeing uh, the interests of others, that they should be put first. Ultimately, humility is the key. Humility is the key. So we're talking about a unified church that comes together through humility. Now, as an elder, sometimes I get a bit of a snippet about other churches that are in Wagga or around the Riverina. And sometimes those churches are struggling or there's divisions being forced or, or, or sometimes they're even splitting apart. And if you've ever been part of that process, you know it's deeply personal, right? And it's, in some sense, it is truly traumatic, there is a, a division, there is a split there, and in some ways it's like a marriage breaking up. It is not like being at the football club and you decide not to be a part of it anymore. It is truly a, a personal, a hurtful experience where things that have been bound together by God have suddenly been pulled apart. And so this passage we can align with uh, in many ways like a wedding. And in fact, this first section of the passage can be read at weddings. You might hear uh, it done. But in a church where there is not unity, okay, there's going to be strife where there should really be peace. There's going to be hurt where there should really be love. There's going to be selfishness where really there should be sacrifice. There will be egotism when there really should be humility, ultimately there will be division when there should be unity. But that is not what Paul desires for the church in Philippi. He desires this humility to be in the church that leads to unity. 
That is what would complete Paul's joy, to see this church grown from a little seed to being a fully mature crop, really, that yields a harvest. So the question is, is what does humility really look like? It's something that can be hard to define. Sometimes I think humility is a little like catching a fly. I don't know if you've got a fly buzzing around your head and it starts to get a little bit annoying and suddenly you think, I've got it. All right? I've caught the fly. I've finally got there. And you open your hand and it's not there. <laughs> humility is a bit like that. As soon as you think you've grasped hold of humility, I'm starting to think that you don't know what humility is. So Paul give, gives us an example of what humility truly is. And so then he writes this section of this passage, which is, it it is truly great. It gives us a, a clear picture of who Jesus himself is. In verse five, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Have the mind of Christ himself. Can you imagine what that really means? What was Jesus thinking? What was driving him onwards? Do you remember when he says he, he set, his, set his mind on the way to Jerusalem? His disciples said, don't go, don't go, they will kill you there. And Jesus set his mind on Jerusalem. Why? Because he knew exactly what was going to happen there. So what was on Jesus' mind? In verse 6, who being in the very nature God or in the... Uh, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Uh, In the older versions of the NIV, it says, I did not consider equality with with God something to be grasped, something to be held onto, something to be used for your own purposes. That's not what Jesus, that's not who Jesus is. That's not what he looks like. Instead, in verse 7 and 8, rather he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, I'll be honest, I I find that hard to understand. What does it really mean? What does it really mean that God from heaven came to earth and died? So I tried to think about an example. What's an analogy of this that we could come up with? That kind of gives a a replication of what it means for God himself to become man. And to be honest, I thought it was pretty hard, but in our day and age, I came up with one. You ready? Donald Trump. I I bet you that wasn't the person's name that you had in your head, all right? So bear with me for a moment. So Donald, we'll call him Donald, we're on first name basis, Donald is rich, okay? There's no doubt about that. Donald is powerful. There's no doubt about that. Let's be clear, Donald's not God, although sometimes I think he doesn't understand that, okay? But imagine for a moment, okay, just take a moment, if Donald Trump, the President of the United States, someone who's very rich, he decided to humble himself and become a bellboy at one of his hotels. His abilities to turn things to his advantage was all gone and really he just responds to the ring of a bell and he's told what to do. 
Can you imagine that? It sounds absurd, doesn't it? There's an absurdity there that the most powerful man currently in the world would do such a thing, become a bellboy in his own hotel. But I'm suggesting to you that that idea about Donald Trump is not as absurd as what is written in front of us in the Bible this morning. Because Donald, he'll be gone in a few years, all right? But here we have God who made the universe and everything in it became a servant of all. Who does that? If you laughed at Donald Trump, the idea of Donald Trump changing from president to bellboy, okay, have a think for a moment what it takes for God of all things to become a servant of all things. If we were to look back through history, we really very... We never see it happen. Whether we're looking at some self-serving dictator somewhere, all right, or even an elected member of parliament, the saying that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely continues to ring true. It is hard to find examples that don't break that rule. Even Satan himself, who was a powerful angel, all right, he sought to rise up to be God himself, instead of humbling himself under God. Adam and Eve, when the serpent said, you will be like God, they took the fruit and ate because they wanted to be like God and not his servant. But to be honest, we probably just have to look in the mirror, don't we? And see that smiling face looking back and realise that in many ways we want to be God of our own lives that we want to uh, force or we want to uh, have the things that are under our control to make it our own advantage. Okay, We want to grasp onto those things and take control. We really don't like it when we're humbled, do we? Particularly if someone else humbles us. Who would humble themselves? It is a crazy, crazy idea. But here we have the answer. Here we have an example of someone who did that, of Jesus who was God himself, humbled himself to be a servant. And what we see in the second half of that section is what happens to Christ when he has humbled himself. From verse 9 it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Sometimes we read that and we think that God's raised Jesus up purely because he died on the cross. All right, But I'm going to say the trajectory started much earlier than that. That Jesus being God himself humbled himself. Death on a cross was just the final step in that. He lived a life that was humbled before God. That is why God raised him up. Now, I don't know about you, but the bar seems to be set a little high. It's like turning up to the, uh, the Olympics for the high jump. Okay, Janine talked about training before. All right, Last time I did high jump, I was probably 14. Okay, turning up to the Olympics and saying, all right, there you go, two metres 15, jump. 
All right? The bar seems a little hard. So how can we, how can we do this? How can we be a people? How can we be a church that is united? And how can we be a people who is united because of the humility that is here? I reckon there's a little bit of a circular argument here. I'm going to start at the beginning. No, I'm going to end at the beginning. All right? What I want us to think of, we've been painted this picture by Paul about the greatness and the humility of Jesus. And I think if we keep that at the very forefront of our mind, if that is the thing that we see, if that's the thing we think about, if that's the thing that we read about, if that's the thing that we pray about, if that's the thing that we talk about to each other, we will be, if I go back to verse 1, encouraged from being united with Christ. Simply, we have to be. If that is something at the forefront of our mind, we will be encouraged and be united with Christ through his death and through his resurrection. If we keep Jesus at the forefront of our mind, if that is the thing that we think about, the thing that we read about, the thing that we pray about, I would guarantee you that we would know the love of God deeply. Not just in those difficult circumstances that crop up from time to time in life, But I'm wondering if we could experience that weekly. What about daily? As we read our Bible and pray, is it possible that we may, and I mean emotionally, not just God loves me, all right, but feel as we step out into the day that the God of heaven loves me? Imagine how that would transform your day. I think that would lead to us being humble. What about if we keep this picture of Jesus at the forefront of our mind as we come to church, as we form communities together, uh, as we're open to the Spirit, doing his work together in, in us, drawing us together. Can you imagine what that gathering might look like if we all came with Jesus first and foremost in our mind? What experience we might have. And then just imagine... If Jesus is first and foremost in our mind, how our hearts might be transformed, how they might be changed over time, how our our feelings for affections for others will grow, how kindness will just spring out of our hearts, tenderness and compassion. Imagine what a place we might be. One point today. A God-honouring church is united and that unity comes from the humility that is modelled on Christ. Can I encourage you to hold these verses at the forefront of your mind? Try as best as you can to see Jesus as who he is. And I say as best as you can because I don't think I fully understand what it all means. Every now and again a new layer is unpeeled and I see afresh about who this Jesus is. But keep him at the forefront of your mind. And in that way, we will become a united community because how can you be anything but humble when you sit in front of the king of the universe? Let me pray. Lord, we are here to gather today as your people, Lord. We are here because of what Christ has done for us. 
And we acknowledge that before that we were lost, that we were sinners in need of a saviour, Lord. So we pray and we thank you that we come here today as people who know you, as people who love you. Lord, we pray that we might keep Jesus first and foremost in our minds, that we might read the word, that we might pray the word, that we might speak to each other about the truths of you. And Lord, we pray that you might make us humble. Set ourselves aside in our own heart that we might see you and you alone. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.